following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. language. It is considered today to be the number one allegory in the English language. Now, John Bunyan himself was born in 1628. He had only a very limited grade school education, and he made his living going from house to house, repairing 
pots and pans. Obviously, it was a dirty job, and he didn't make very much money. But he also preached the gospel. And because he preached the gospel, he was put in prison in England and suffered in prison for six years. They said, if we release you, will you stop preaching? And he said, no. They released him anyway, but he immediately began to preach in the churches, and they put him back in prison. Eleven years he suffered in jail. During those years in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I share this with you because the turn in John Bunyan's life happened when the God of heaven spoke to him. And the Lord said to him, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? What an abrupt word from the living God of heaven. The Lord did not say to John Bunyan, Will you let me forgive you for your sins and allow you to continue to walk in your sins and then I'll save you at the time of your death? No, that's not what the Lord said. He said, will you leave the sin and go to heaven or have your sin and go to hell? Very different. Now, I've shared this with you many times before, but I have a purpose in sharing this one more time today with you. The book opens with a man in a dream, clothed in rags, He's standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. He has a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. Bunyan says, I looked and saw him open the book and began to read, and as he read, he wept, and he trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? Now, I'm going to show you today that most of you have been taught a doctrine that allows you to never ask the question, what shall I do? Because you've been taught that you can be forgiven for your sin and continue to walk in your sin. That was not what Bunyan believed. He believed that a man had to leave his sin. And so he cried out, what shall I do? The burden on his back was so heavy. And of course, Martin Luther, speaking about this, said sin is like a man who has a beard. Every day he has to shave it off. Well, Bunyan couldn't shave his beard off. It just kept growing. (coughs) Pardon me. And finally, in terror, he has his, his man in the allegory crying out, what shall I do? Well, in this condition, he went home and he tried to keep to himself as long as he could so that his wife and children would not see him in distress. 
but after a short time his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and children what was on his troubled mind. He told them, Dear wife and children, I am greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavy upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by by a way I do not yet see. Some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. See how different that is from what the church teaches today. The church teaches today that you've already been delivered and you still walk in your sin. And they teach that you can't ever get rid of that burden on your back until you die. That is not the historic orthodox doctrine of the Christian church. It is a fantasy heresy. I'm going to show you what it results in as we turn in just a moment to the book of First John. His family is greatly amazed, not because they believe him. They thought he was losing his mind. When this understanding first came to me, and I began to see my sin and recognize that I had to be totally washed in the blood of Jesus. My family thought I'd gone crazy. In fact, one one of my brothers said to me, we're not going to talk to you anymore because we don't talk to crazy people. And you're insane, Ray. Well, the night was troublesome. The family became very cold toward him. They treated him rudely. And finally, they just ignored him. He was, to them, a crazy man. Well, he continued reading his book. And he would burst out and he would cry, What shall I do to be saved? And finally an evangelist came to him and answered that question. He pointed him toward a narrow gate. And he told him, Run toward that narrow gate. Now the first thing Christian did as he ran toward the narrow gate is he fell into the swamp of despair. He became very depressed because suddenly everything came crashing in on him and he saw that there was no human way he could get rid of his sin. He knew he was going to die. He then met a man on the road, Mr. Worldly Wise, And this man redirected him. And this man lived in the city of morality. I would have named it the city of legalism. Because that's what he was teaching. This new person who was seeking some deliverance from his sin, he was being told, look, you can can live in morality and have a very wonderful life. Just try as hard as you can. Just strive to get rid of your sin. 
Some of you are living there today. You're striving, you're doing your best to leave your sin. and So somehow you're giving earnest attention, striving, but your sin is still very great. And you recognize that there is no way possible for you to leave your sin. Then we come to chapter 3 in the book. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on each side with a wall. The wall was called salvation. Therefore it was up this highway that Christian ran, but not without great difficulty because of the burden on his back. He ran till he came to a small hill, at the top of which stood a cross, at the bottom of which was a tomb. I saw in my dream that when Christian walked up the hill to the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders, fell off his back, tumbling down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb, where it fell in to be seen no more. Christian was relieved and delighted and exclaimed with a joyful heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. For a while he stood still in front of the cross to look in wonder. It was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease the burden on his back. Tears began to stream down his cheeks as he stood in wonder. Three shining ones came to him and greeted him with peace be to you. The first one said to him, Your sins are forgiven. The second stripped him of his rags and dressed him with new clothing. The third put a mark on his forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it. He told Christian to review it often as he went on his way, and at the end of the journey to turn it in at the celestial gate. Now, please understand, John Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist. Needless to say, a Reformed Baptist who did not believe the lie of those who claim to be Reformed today. Three things are given that happened to Bunyan at the cross. One, his sins were forgiven. Two, he was stripped of his rags and dressed him with new clothing. That is, the sin of his heart was stripped from him. He was made righteous. He no longer was to walk in any known sin. Rebellion was removed from him by divine power, and there was a mark on his forehead that said, you are marked for Jesus Christ. You are no longer a sinner. You are now righteous before me. Well, let's turn now from Bunyan's book, and I want to take you, I want to take you back to a story that I shared with you yesterday. It was the story of 
Nadab and Abihu, the eldest sons of Aaron, they had been ordained to the priesthood. May I put it this way, please? They had had enough of righteousness and enough of God. So they got drunk. I recognize that there are some times in my life when I have tired of the pursuit of God and I've said, I just need a break from God for a day or an hour. I can't stand this righteousness one more moment. I'm going to go veg out. And that's when I may go and buy a a quart of ice cream. You know, that's when I may turn aside to some entertainment. Now, I don't do that anymore because I now don't grow tired of the presence of God in my life. He has totally changed my taste. But at the beginning, that was true for me. And some of you may get tired of God and godliness And you may go get drunk or get high on drugs. I talked to one young man, a new Christian, and he now wants to smoke pot. And I asked why. He said, because it relieves me of my strain. Does the gospel make you strain? If so, there's an element of legalism in your gospel. It is not hard to follow Jesus. But I want to come back to this story. It's very fascinating. I was, yesterday after the broadcast, I had some errands to run, and I was walking by a coffee shop. And sitting outside were two men from the National Prayer Chapel. They immediately invited me to come sit with them, and so I did. They asked me about the broadcast because they'd been talking with one another and had not heard the broadcast. And so I shared what I had said about Nadab and Abihu and Aaron. And one of the men said to me, Pastor, did you look up the word in the Greek, unauthorized or strange fire? I said, no, I didn't. I'm fascinated. What does it mean? He said it means literally in the Hebrew, to turn aside, to turn aside. Most commonly, it's used when you turn aside from the road to comfortable lodging in the night. But it means you stop your journey. You turn away. Let's read this with that understanding. This is Leviticus, the 10th chapter. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each put his own, took his own fire pan and put fire in it and placed incense on it and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And then fire came from the Lord and burned them to death before the Lord. So Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will show myself holy to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. 
and now one of the wisest things Aaron ever did. Aaron remained silent. You understand, if he had spoken, he would have died on the spot. Unauthorized fire. Turn aside fire before the Lord. So they're coming before the Lord, and they are offering to God, turn aside fire. They've turned aside from the truth. They've turned aside from God, and yet they want to participate in religious activities. I noted yesterday that this is what is happening in the modern church. The modern church has turned aside from righteousness and pretended that they're covered by the blood of Jesus with his righteousness, and that God, when he looks at them, doesn't see them, it just sees Jesus. And they are convinced they're always going to be struggling with their sin for the rest of their lives. Bunyan would say they have become legalist. Bunyan would say that they are worshiping in a false manner. They are literally offering to God, turn aside fire. And so we have turn aside music and turn aside bands, turn aside anointing, turn aside sermons. We've turned aside churches where what is being offered is not of God. It's of human flesh. It's a business. It's a man's ego. It's not God. Now, the only reason fire does not come out from God is that they're not, they're not near God. He said, to show, I will show my holiness to those who are near me. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and they died. Why? Because they were near God. His presence was among them. He was mighty among them, working miracles, signs, and wonders. If God were to come near today, the American church, people would die. Because their offering turn aside fire before Almighty God. Now, I don't know if this is sobering to you, but it is to me. It's frightening to me. Now, let's leave that piece, and I want to go to another piece. I want to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? We want to say in the modern church, oh, the unrighteous are covered by the blood of Jesus, and and we're on our way to heaven. I haven't played that song this week or last week the version that is washed in the blood, but then at the end it goes into another song, will fly away. I haven't offered that song to you because 
Many of you think you're going to fly away, but you're unrighteous. If you fly away unrighteous, you go straight to hell. I don't want that for you. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit inherit God's kingdom? And you say, oh, but wait a minute, pastor. I'm righteous because Jesus died on Calvary, and I have his righteousness, but it covers my sin. Wrong. Notice. Do not be deceived. This is the Apostle Paul. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people, no swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. He might, he might as well have just said, no sinners will inherit God's kingdom. There's no such thing as covering your sin and making believe that God doesn't see you. Come on. He sees everything. It says, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's he saying happened? I used to think, I guess the Apostle Paul didn't know what he was talking about. He got the order messed up. He didn't mess the order up. Watch. You were washed. In other words, all of your past sins were washed away. You were sanctified. That is, hagios. You were were made righteous. You were made holy. Your behavior was changed. Your nature was changed. And then it says, you were finally justified. That is, the second work of grace was done in your life. You were made righteous, or literally, in the Greek, dikasune. You were rendered innocent. So we have here a three-part process. Your past sins have been washed away. You were sanctified, so you no longer walked in sin. And then you were made innocent before God. In other words, even your carnal nature was washed out of you. You were rendered innocent. That's the literal meaning in the Greek of dikasune. You were washed. Your sins were washed away. You were sanctified. You were made holy, hagios. And then you were rendered. You were rendered innocent. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken with people who who treasure that all of their past sins were washed away. 
And then they have said, well, I'm going to take the rest of my life to be sanctified because, frankly, I'm a sinner and I'll always be a sinner until the time I die. So sanctification is then a work of a lifetime. No, it's not the work of a lifetime. If when you die you're still working on your sanctification, you will go to hell. You are either going to be sanctified now or you're not going to be sanctified. And then you're going to be put through the fire. You are going to be rendered. Do you know what it is to render a piece of meat? You put it in a pan and you cover it with water and you boil it. And the fat is rendered out of the meat and you skim off the fat. That's not a very pleasant description of what must happen in your life, but that's exactly what God is going to do with you. He is going to take whatever time is necessary to keep you in the fire to get all the fat rendered out of you, all of the self out of your very nature until you are totally innocent before God. So your past sins are washed away. You are then sanctified. You no longer walk in any known sin or rebellion. This happens at conversion. This happens at the new birth. This happens at the crucifixion with Jesus Christ. It's called different things in different places in Scripture. It all means the same thing. You are transformed. You are metamorphosed into a new creature in Christ Jesus. You no longer walk in sin. And now you have the journey to take that Bunyan talks about, the narrow road path that you will walk, and in the process, you are going to be rendered innocent. Until every part of your heart, every part of your life, you are made innocent. There's nothing of darkness left in you. Now, you may want to see that in the Scripture in another place. And that's fair. I'll take you to 1 John. And by the way, I'm going to open the phone lines today if you would like to call. Uh, Don't call and argue with me because I'm not going to engage in an argument with you. Don't call in your Calvinistic bent. If you're a sincere follower of Jesus Christ and you want to talk about this issue and you want to be prayed for, then please call. The phone number is 877-534-0780. Again, it's 877 534-0780. Don't call off topic. I'm not going to talk about praying for Donald Trump or praying for this or that. This is about you. Have you been washed? Have your past sins been wiped away? Have you been made holy? Have you, are you sanctified? And 
are you being rendered? I'd love to talk to some people who are being rendered today. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John, the first chapter. I want to show you some things here. Verse 5. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So what I'm going to share with you out of the first book of John is not human doctrine. It is not Pastor Ray's doctrine. It is literally what he heard from Jesus and he is declaring to us. Let's be clear. This is not of human origin. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, that is, if we walk in sin, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now let's stop. Tell me, what is the difference if a Gnostic comes and says, I don't have to worry about sin because I don't have any. The outside of me is filthy dirty, but inside in my spirit I'm clean. And the Gnostic says, When I die, this flesh is all going to be washed away. I'm going to a better place. That was the Gnostic teaching. Tell me, what's the difference between that Gnostic teaching and the teaching that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he just sees Jesus, so you have no sin and you're on your way to heaven? What's the difference? There is no difference. It's all Gnostic. It's all heresy. And this is the predominant message that's being preached in America today. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what God says, not what somebody else says. I'm going to tell you what the God of heaven says to you now. If you walk in darkness, you cannot walk in the light. If you walk in sin... You cannot be saved. You have to be washed. You have to be cleansed. It says his son cleanses us from all sin. That's not... How should I put it? That's not pretend cleanse from sin. That's washing. So if you say today, I'm saved... God doesn't see my sin. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. The Apostle John's talking about you, just like he was talking about the Gnostics. It says, if we confess our sins, 
Well, why would I need to confess my sins if God doesn't see my sins? No, God sees your sin. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in other words, if we'll finally get clean with God, come into agreement with God about our sin, and stop pretending that we can live in our sin and still go to heaven like the Gnostics, if we'll finally get honest about who we really are before God, he'll forgive us. But he won't just forgive us. He'll cleanse us. Now, sins have to be pardoned. And then there has to be a washing. But he's going to go further than that in just a moment. I want to look up quickly for you another translation. And I want to read it for you. And this is the message which we have heard from him and report back to you, that God is light. And there's no darkness in him, none whatsoever. If we may say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we may walk in darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not do the truth. But if we may keep walking in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from every conceivable sin. If we may say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he may remove the sins with reference to us. If, as we said yesterday, I am simply forgiven, then God does something in God, but nothing in me. And that is the heresy of our day. But the word aphemy is used here, and aphemy means to remove. Spatially, to create distance between me and my sins. So it is to remove those sins. So let's look again. If we confess our sins, that is, if we agree with God regarding our sins and don't pretend that God can't see our sins because Jesus has covered us with grace, I call that cheap slimy grace, greasy grace. It's not the grace of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to remove our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, all week I've been saying to you, last week, the week before, this week, I've been saying that sins, actions, 
they have to be washed by the blood. But that deeper part of our heart has to be purged. Has to be purged, cleansed. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So rather than God covering over our sin with grace, he's saying, if you do not agree with me regarding your sin so that it may be purged from you, cleansed from you, then you're making God out to be a liar and his word is not in you. See how serious this is? He continues, My little children, this is chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, because there is always the possibility of a person washed in the blood and cleansed. There's always the possibility he will go back and sin because we do not have absolute perfection like God has. God cannot sin. Jesus could not be tempted in a way that would cause him to sin. But we humans are not that way. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atonement for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. Perfected. This is how we know we're in him. You don't know you're in Jesus simply by claiming the blood of Jesus. There has to be a a washing away of your sins There has to be a sanctifying of your soul where you stop all known sin and rebellion. And then there must be a rendering innocent before God. Without these things, you are not saved. So Bunyan as he's struggling with this word of God, cries out in his allegory, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? This heavy burden on my back. And it's not a matter of getting rid of the burden and then the burden comes back. It's not a matter of pretending the burden's not there. It's not, as Luther says, a problem of a man having to shave his face every day to get rid of his sin. No, 
a man is made clean by the blood of Jesus in reality. Now we're running out of time, but I want to share this with you. When we have sin in mind, the word aphis means removal. There is a space created between what we call sin and our own hearts. So that the burden of sin is not just washed away, but we're also sanctified. And then we go through the fire. (laughs) Very few people that I've known in my lifetime have been willing to undergo the second or the third process. Almost everyone that I know grabs a hold of, my sins have been washed away, I'm going to be a sinner the rest of my life, and so God's just going to have to accept me the way I am. No, he doesn't. No, he's not. He's not. He's holy. If you're still walking in your sin and God comes close to you, you're going to burn like Nadab and Abihu did. You have to be sanctified. You have to be made clean. And even fewer people that I've known have been willing to undergo the desert journey. And most who try end up dying in the desert, becoming rebellious of heart, angry and bitter in their spirit, and saying, if God's going to treat me this way, I'm done with him. There has to be a a rendering innocent. There has to be that process of making me innocent before Almighty God in reality. If you look at Acts 26.16, The reason Paul came was to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive not forgiveness of sin, but removal of sin, and thus an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, that is, made holy by faith, not by legalism, by faith, based on the rhema word of God, based on the promises, the sacred promises of God. They are made righteous. This whole work of washing away my sins of sanctifying me, of rendering me innocent. This is all the work God does in us. It's not a work we white-knuckle. It's a work God does in us and for us by His Spirit and by His blood. He does it for us. But we have to come into agreement with God about our sin. And we have to say, yes, Lord, do this work in me. God must remove all sin from my heart 
and from my life. This is the solemn truth that you must be confronted by. You can turn aside from it and say, Pastor Ray is insane. Many have done that. The National Prayer Chapel is not a huge and growing church. Why? Because most want to continue walking in their sin and worldliness. Or they want to go to legalism and stretch and struggle and try and complain against God. Very few will simply come into agreement with God and say, Would you now take me on the journey? Would you finish this work in my heart? It is this mighty truth that sin is removed and not remitted. It is that sin and its power are broken by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross, to destroy the devil's work in your life. So don't hang on to the devil's work and say the blood of Jesus just doesn't have the ability to set me righteous before a holy God. Don't lie to yourself. Because if you do, you cannot be saved. Well, we're out of time today. I'm very concerned. And I want to pray with you. I also want to invite you to come this Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel. I invite you to come and celebrate with us the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to celebrate your resurrection with Jesus. And if you come walking in sin, you'll hear a message that will turn your heart from darkness to light. And a way will be opened for you by the power of the blood of Jesus to be sanctified and made holy. I invite you to come and walk with the National Prayer Chapel in the journey of being rendered and made innocent. (laughs) This is not for the crowds. This is for the few good men and women who want to be serious about Jesus and not please everybody else, not try to convince their families that they're sane and okay. No, follow Jesus. Then you'll be able to save your family by the power of the blood. So the National Prayer Chapel meets at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the address. It's the All Saints Anglican Church located right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel on Gideon Boulevard. Let me give you the address. It's 14851 Gideon Drive. 
1485 Gideon Drive. If you're coming this Sunday, be there on time. Don't come late. Don't dishonor God. Leave early enough that you can find us. Drive around to the back side of the All Saints Anglican Church, and at ground level, double glass doors, you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in, and you'll find the worship center on the left-hand side. I invite you to come and worship. Our, our service begins at 12 noon with prayer, and you're welcome to come if you're serious about Jesus. This is not for the Easter lilies. This is for those who are serious about, okay, I've got to get serious with Jesus. I also invite you to contribute to help keep this broadcast on the air. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And you'll also notice that you can now follow us on Twitter. We encourage you, come and sign up. We'd love to get better acquainted with you. Mighty God, move with power in the heart of each person who has listened to make them come to a place of honest conviction and decision. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Our Savior, through Jesus.